We're gonna jump into Psalm 51. I am gonna read it. I'm gonna introduce it to you before I read the entire thing. So don't get too comfortable because I am gonna ask you to stand when we actually read it. Here's the deal with Psalm 51. So you're turned there. You see up at the top, it says to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. You understand the setting of this. I'm not gonna go back into the setting in too much detail here. But what's listed for us at the top to kind of guide our minds and our thoughts as we walk into this is the fact that David and Bathsheba, David then didn't confess his sin. He tried to cover his sin. He tries to get Uriah killed. He goes through this whole process of trying to cover everything up. Um, You're getting to the point where the baby's about to die. This has been an extended time here. And Nathan goes and confronts David and he confronts him in a unique way. He confronts him with a story and David is irate at the story and then comes the punchline where Nathan says to him, you are the man. So this Psalm is the background for that, but, but let's call a timeout and let's just say this Psalm is a Psalm of how to repent. This Psalm is a Psalm that guides us, that teaches us, that talks to all of us about how do we repent for our sin before a holy and righteous God. So in that sense of the word, this Psalm is is applicable for every person in this room. It's applicable for us multiple times a day, a week, during our lifetime. And there are some of us that really, at this point in time right now, we need this psalm to be able to repent, to get right with God, to make sure that we are enjoying the joy of his salvation. And so we're gonna walk through this psalm. Here's my main idea for you today. Genuine repentance requires a sincere and humble plea for mercy. Genuine repentance requires a sincere and humble plea for mercy. So when we talk about repentance, the energy level drops, everything gets really quiet, and we all feel like we're about to get beat on for a little while, right? And everybody goes, oh man, do I have somewhere to go? Chick-fil-A's not open yet, oh well. Here's the deal. Think for a moment if we served a God that would not forgive us. Think for a moment if you served a God that had no mercy for you. Think for a moment if you served a God that only gave you what you deserved. And so today, when we walk through the fact that we have the opportunity to plead to the mercy of this God that does forgive, that does have loving kindness, that does want us to be in a right right relationship with him, this is good news. This is not bad news. This is the good news that tells all of us how we mess up over and over and over again, that we can be forgiven and be in a right relationship with a God that loves us. So, so when, we, when we take this in, we need to think seriously and deeply about it. We need to take notes so that we can refer back to it when we desperately need it. But we also need to recognize that this is a grace and a mercy from the Lord that he even shows us how to ask for forgiveness when we have royally blown it. So here are our four different points that we're gonna walk through. First, we're gonna look at an appeal for mercy. Second, we're gonna look at fully admitting your sin. Third, we're gonna look at how we ask God to restore us. And then fourth, we're gonna offer humble worship. And then once we conclude, we'll actually offer that humble worship through music as we have the the team lead us in worshiping. All right, I wanna read the text. So would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word with me, Psalm 51? We're gonna read it all. 
So right here up front, we're gonna see that we plead for mercy. Who do we plead for mercy from? There's only one, it's God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Notice three words for sin here. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. David's gonna own it. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We're pleading for that right relationship to be restored. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, that you will not despise. Dear Lord, today would you help us to understand how to repent? Lord, we all sin. Lord, all of us in this room, every last one of us need repentance. Every last one of us has sinned against you. Every last one of us continues in our fallen state to do things we don't wanna do. So Lord, would you help us to, to be honest with ourselves, to be truthful in our inward parts, would you help my words to be tied to this text so that they're pleasing and glorifying to you? And would you do your work? Lord, I can't convince anybody of anything, but Lord, your spirit through your word to your people can change lives for your glory. And that's what we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. All right, let's just walk through it. Point number one, we're gonna appeal for God's mercy. You've got your text out, you've got your notes out. You're writing down, what do I do first? What I do first is I appeal for God's mercy. I don't come to God and start talking about who I am or why I should be forgiven. It's not about a title that I hold. It's not about what I've done. It's not about my righteousness. It's not about how long I have a quiet time. It's not about how many years I've gone to church. There is nothing that justifies our sinfulness before a holy and righteous God. He demands perfection and we can't do it. So if you're in this room right now and you think, oh, nobody knows how bad I am. This room is full of people that have fallen and missed the mark and we are not what we need to be before a holy and righteous God. So don't let the devil lie to you to make you think that you're so bad that God can't forgive you because that's not true. There is a God that loves you and he can forgive you. So hear what David does. David messed up really, really, really bad. 
I mean, you go back and look at what David did and it's like, oh my word, how is this a man after God's own heart? And it's when we come to Psalm 51 and we see his response to it where he's pleading out to God, to the only one that can forgive, have mercy on me. And he appeals to God's character. So it's not about his actions, it's about who God is. God has revealed himself to us and he says, oh God, have mercy on me. Why? According to your steadfast love, according to your hesed, according to your loving kindness, according to your attributes of who you are as a holy and righteous God, but also a merciful and gracious and loving God. So in this room, you've sinned before God, you have absolutely no hope, but the mercy of God. But the good news is there's mercy there. There is grace for you at the cross of Jesus Christ and grace for me to be forgiven, not just saved, but as I live that Christian life and I mess up again and again and again and again, there is forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I blow it, what do I do? Oh God, have mercy on me. You heard about this last year too. You remember that parable of that tax collector who was off in the corner and felt like he didn't belong? Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here you see it, David saying this. And then he gives three words for sin. Now our second point is that you're gonna have to own it. He's already owning it here in verse two. So don't miss the my. So he says blot out. We'll get to the blot out, the washing, and the cleansing eventually. But right now in this section, I want to focus on the three different words for sin. He says blot out my transgressions. So when you're going to confess your sin, own it. My transgressions. So what's a transgression? A transgression is a line that you're not supposed to cross. So pretend there's a line right here. If I cross this line, it's gonna be bad news for me because I'm going off the stage and that's gonna be memorable for everybody, right? There's a line that you shouldn't cross. This is a term that's used in a military context as well as a rebellion, an intentional rebellion. So when we think about our sin, what is our sin? God has created us. He has given us breath. He has given us life. He has given us his word, and what do we do? We intentionally cross the lines that God has said, don't do this, don't do that. That is an intentional rebellion against the God who created us. God, I know better than you do. I wanna have my fun. I wanna listen to the lies of the devil. I wanna do whatever it is I wanna do, so I'm intentionally crossing your line and rebelling against you. That places us in opposition to a holy and righteous God. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. That word iniquity is a word that means a twisting or a perversion. You can take something good and you can twist it, you can pervert it, you can make it into something that's evil or that's wicked. And so this is basically our sinful nature. This is what we do. We take really good things like food. We love food, but we can turn food into an evil addiction whether that's an addiction to where we don't eat food or whether that's an addiction to where we eat way too much food or whether that's something that we go to because we think that's what's gonna satisfy us when we're in a moment when we're down or when we're depressed and we lean into food to be what fixes us rather than into Jesus to be what fixes us. You can taste, take and and twist and pervert sex, which God has given as a good gift within the bounds of marriage. And you can twist it and you can pervert it, and you can make it something that's evil and unwholesome, 
Instead of the warm fire in the fireplace, it can be the fire that's in your bosom that burns you and destroys you. That's our iniquity. This is what we do. We take good things and frequently we twist them and pervert them to where they're bad things. And David says, wash me from all my iniquity. And then he says, cleanse me from my sin. Sin in the Old Testament, sin in the New Testament, the missing of the mark, that genuine word that we see. So we have the target. We're supposed to hit the target. We don't hit the target. God tells us this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to live. And we miss the target. We fall short of the target. So as you think about your sin, crossing the line, twisting or perverting something that God has created as good to make it evil or missing the mark, he includes all three right here. This is our sinfulness. It's before us. And our only hope is to plead for mercy. We fall before the court. I have no defense. I am guilty as charged. I plead for mercy. And the good news is, God grants it. So the second thing that we have to do, we see here in verse three, fully admit our sin. Look at what he says, for I know again my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's owning it. So let me just say this, as, as, a, as a parent who has children, as an administrator who has dealt with a whole lot of student discipline cases in my lifetime, here's what we tend to do. This is human nature. We tend to make every time we get caught, we tell that story in a way that makes us look the best that it can possibly make us look. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to think, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. We think this when you come home and mom or dad says, is there something that you need to tell me? How many of you have ever heard that line before? And immediately in your thought process, when they say, is there something you need to tell me? You start rattling off all the things you've done that you shouldn't have done. And then you start rattling off a list of all those things that you shouldn't have done that you think they may know about because you don't want to tell them the things that they don't know about. You only want to tell them the things they already know about because if you get down to the things they don't know about, you're going to be in more trouble. And so you're in your mind in milliseconds playing out this game of chance because you're thinking, oh, if I confess this one, then I'm not that one, then I can find out where they know. And so you start off and then they say these words to you, you better tell me everything all at one time because I already know. And then in your mind, your heart starts beating fast and your head starts sweating and you're like, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble. So what do you do? Are you the person that starts at the top of the list and works your way down because you're wanting to see what you can get away with? Are you the person that says, all right, I'm busted. I'm just going to go right to the worst part. And then you tell mom and dad something they didn't even know. And you're like, why did I do that? Listen, every one of us, we want to paint ourselves in the best light and others in the worst light. We want to justify ourselves. We want to talk about our own actions in ways that make us feel good about them or at least justifies them to the best of our ability. And what we see in this text is not a justification of my wickedness. It's not a justification of my sinfulness. We are not seeing what happened in the garden. When God came to confront Adam and Eve and Adam looks at God and he says two things. He says, it's the woman's fault and you created her. If you hadn't created her, we wouldn't be in this mess. And if she hadn't done it, then I wouldn't be in this mess. And then he goes to the woman and the woman says, it's the snake's fault because he deceived me. And this is what we do. But if you wanna have genuine confession, this is not what you do. I know my sin. I know my transgression. It's ever before me. Now, verse four is just hard, y'all. 
there, there's no good way to explain this other than it's just hard. Because what David says here is against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now I can only imagine if Uriah's family was around, they'd say, wait a second. Uriah got killed. Bathsheba, what about her? What about us? Because we lost a family member. David, how do you say against you and you only have I sinned? How is this inspired by the Holy Spirit to be in the text of Scripture? This is hard. And there's no words I can offer you that will fully justify this, that will make this easier for us to accept. Commentators typically talk about the fact that without God, there is no sin. If you are truly in a world like secular universities want to tell you about, where there is no universal truth, where we are in a postmodern application, where there is an evolutionary theory that takes place, and it really is survival of the fittest. If it really is survival of the fittest with no universal truth, then nothing I do is wrong because it's might equals right, and I can do whatever I want to as long as I can get away with it. But because there's a God that created us and the God says, this is the standard, there's a right and there's a wrong. And our sin is ultimately first and foremost against the God that said, this is right and this is wrong. And why is it that we can't mistreat people or abuse people? And why is it that we should never do those type things? It's because they're created in the image of God, just like we're created in the image of God. We are all equal before God because we all bear his image and the ground at the foot of the cross is equal. And that's why on this campus and across Christianity, there should never be a mistreatment of anybody. We should never look at another person and because of their color or because of their sex or because of anything else think that we are better than they are. We are all created in the image of God and friends, when we are saved, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And if in your mind there's even a hint that I'm better than somebody else or I can speak down to somebody else or I can abuse somebody else, that is sinfulness, that is wickedness, that is not of the Lord. He says against you and you only have I sinned. So that you may be justified in your words, blameless in your judgment. God, you're right. What is repentance? You guys know this. This is the basic definition, right? Repentance is I'm pursuing my own thing. I'm doing my own way. I'm walking down through here. I get convicted. I stop. I turn around. I'm not gonna pursue my own path. God, I agree with you that that is sinfulness and I am gonna follow you. So what's your issue? Whatever it is, you insert it in there. And what you're saying when you genuinely repent before God is God, you are right and you are blameless in your judgment. You could take me out right now. You would be absolutely just. And the thing I'm pursuing that's not good, that's not right, that's not holy, I repent of that. I don't want that. I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna seek to follow Christ. And then in verse five, he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, this is not an accusation against his mother. This is not an accusation to say that all sex is sinful. That's not what's going on here. This is sinful nature that is being brought out. I was brought forth in iniquity. From my very beginning, there's this twisted aspect of me where I have inherited the sinful nature from Adam and that that sinful nature causes me to wanna twist everything, pervert everything, to make idols out of everything good that you've created, God. That sinful nature leaves me to where I do things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I wanna do. And that sinful nature causes me to be against you. And then it says here, and sin did my mother conceive me. Now, I'm not sure I fleshed this out thoroughly yet in my own mind. 
But there's something here about even conception being mentioned. And in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm not sure I wanna develop a full aspect of life beginning at the moment of conception based off of this verse, but there's something here that we need to pay attention to and dig deeper into. What does it say in verse six? Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. So dear student, if you're in the room right now and you know you've got a sin and you've been justifying it and, and you're trying to, to, to figure out how you can keep justifying it, can I just tell you stop and be truthful with God? Well, me and my girlfriend, we're sleeping together, but it's okay because I already bought her the ring. I haven't given it to her yet, but I've already bought her that ring. And so it's okay because in my mind, we're really married. No, 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 just stop. You know that doesn't work. Oh, but I gave her the ring, so now it's okay. No. Come on, you're all smarter than this. What that is is a twisted, sinful nature inside of us trying to justify the thing we want more than God because we love our sin more than we love our creator. And we need to be with David. Oh, God, have mercy on me. What's wrong with me? I got problems. It's defective equipment returned to creator. And that's what we have to do. Verse seven here, he transitions. He moves to the aspect of where we are now pleading for God to restore us. God, would you restore us? God, please restore me here. And so here with David, as bad as he messed up, he comes clean, he asks for mercy, he owns his sin, and then he says, purge me with hyssop. This is that ceremonial cleaning. It's the hyssop, which is the branch that they would use to sprinkle the blood. They would have sprinkled the blood over the doorpost in Exodus. They would have sprinkled the water. It would have been the cleansing. It's saying, clean me, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. How many of you enjoy doing your laundry because mom doesn't do it anymore because you have to... By the way, we're working on those washing machines to get them better. But you, 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 you work. You, you, how many of you have already messed up with your laundry and you have a bunch of pink stuff now? Anybody out there that I'm looking, nobody wants to own that mistake. You've got to own your sin. It's not sin. I'm just kidding. Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me just like you wash your clothes and I will be whiter than snow. Now, pay attention to this. Student, I want you to hear this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. You know what happens when you're trapped in sin and you're caught in a sin and you're not willing to repent of that sin? The Lord starts putting pressure on you. He starts breaking those bones so that you don't have the same joy when you're worshiping him and serving him because you're in utter rebellion against God. You say, I just don't enjoy chapel like I used to. Why not? I don't enjoy reading my Bible like I used to. Why not? I don't enjoy singing praises to God like I used to. Do you have unconfessed sin in your life? If you've got an unconfessed sin in your life, well, that's why. There was this girl I met and she was awesome and I really loved this girl and then we went too far and now all of a sudden I can't stand being around her anymore. Why? Because you abused the relationship, you destroyed the relationship because you two are no longer pushing each other towards God and as you push each other towards God, you're getting closer and closer together. You're now pushing each other away from God and as you push each other away from God, it's like that triangle. The farther you get away from God, the farther you get away from each other. It's the way it all works together. It's our body and our soul and our spirit and they all work together and if you're in sin, that sin will ultimately destroy you and the best thing you can do is just say God have mercy on me 
Let me know your joy again. So I've got good news for you right now. You can repent and know the joy of God's salvation again. You're not stuck there. Lord, hide your face from my sin. Just don't even look at it. I'm so embarrassed by it. Don't look at it. I don't want it. You know the good news, if you're really wrestling with your sin, if you're making war against your sin and you have failures, God knows your heart. He knows that you are desiring to pursue him. He knows that's what you wanna do. And that desire pleases him. But if you're in the room and you're saying, I'm gonna get away with it. David thought that too and he was the king and he probably could if anybody could. And along comes Nathan the prophet because God had whispered in Nathan's ear exactly what happened. You're not gonna get away with it. Verse 10, oh, this is huge. Create, bara, create, bara, a verb that is used only with God as the subject. Because I can't create a heart in myself. I can't work myself into it. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. All I can do is plead to the mercy of King Jesus and say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. My heart is messed up, it's dirty, it's wicked, and what I need is for you to make it new. I need God, the God who created ex nihilo, everything into existence, to say, here's your new heart. This is a heart that's gonna pound to worship for me. This is a heart that's gonna have a desire to serve me, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and then renew a right spirit. So to renew the right spirit means that that sinfulness has destroyed that right spirit. So again, I say to you, when you're evaluating your life, when you're walking through those seasons of darkness, ask yourself the question, do I have unrepentant sin going on? Is that what's happening here? It may not always be the case, but if we're not in a right relationship with God, that spirit is not gonna be there. It's not gonna be a right spirit within me. And in verse 11, he says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So we have to call a slight timeout right here. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now there's two ways that this could be explained. One way is that this is the Old Testament and in the Old Testament, you'll remember that the Holy Spirit came upon and then departed. The Holy Spirit would come upon those who were workers in the temple so that they could do the work of the temple. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul. When Saul sinned against God, the Holy Spirit departed from him. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson and Samson had this great strength and when his hair was cut, it said the Holy Spirit was not upon him. His strength was gone and had departed from him and he knew it not. And that's one of the sad places to be. And David prays, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now we don't live in the Old Testament times when the Holy Spirit came upon and left. And the gospels is described as the Holy Spirit was with them after Pentecost in Acts 2 is described as the Holy Spirit being in us. So when we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within me. He dwells within me. And from that point, I have eternal security. So the Holy Spirit is not gonna leave me. So you don't need to pray, Lord, don't let me lose my salvation. Your salvation is secure because the Lord has declared you righteous. He has adopted you into the family of God. You are secure until the day of redemption. You still may have issues. We call that sanctification. But your justification has been declared. The court has ordered it. Your adoption is secure into the family of God. There's another explanation that perhaps this shouldn't be capitalized as Holy Spirit as it is in most of your translations, but perhaps since this is talking about the human spirit in these verses, perhaps what's intended here is a spirit that pursues holiness. Lord, give me a willing spirit. Lord, give me a right spirit. Lord, give me a spirit that pursues holiness. That could be another way that you could handle this particular portion of the text. 
Lord, I want a right spirit. Lord, I want a spirit that pursues holiness. Look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy, it's repeated here, of your salvation. You don't understand, I don't have joy in all this stuff anymore. Do you have unconfessed sin in your life? Are you in rebellion against God? Are you pursuing things that are not pleasing to God? If you are, that is why you don't have joy in the Christian life any longer. Do you see it here? So what do you do? Plead to the mercy of God, own your sinful actions, ask for God to restore you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Okay, now here's, we've got to call another time out and I'm about to shut it down. Willing spirit. So you're in the room right now and you're like, yeah, you're right. I am in utter rebellion and I enjoy my sin and I like my sin more than I like God and I'm not quitting. Your prayer needs to be for the willing spirit. Your prayer needs to be that God would grant me a spirit that is willing to pursue his righteousness and obey his laws because right now your spirit is not willing to do what is right before God and you're making all these things up in your mind. I can serve him later. Well, that's not true. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, This is gonna be good for this season of life. You say, you believe there's actually somebody at Cedarville who are doing all this stuff? Absolutely, I know it. You can be at Cedarville and addicted to a sin. You can be at Cedarville and addicted to pornography and not want to give it up. You can be at Cedarville still sneaking off campus to sleep with your girlfriend and not want to give those things up and not realize that I've got a problem here. And what I want to say to you is is I want to be the, the prophet Nathan to say to you, come back to God. You're not gonna have the joy of your salvation. These things are gonna lead you down a path that is ultimately gonna destroy you. Sin will destroy you ultimately. Come back to God. And if you don't even have an inkling of wanting to come back to God, then your prayer today is, God, give me a willing spirit. That's assuming you've been saved. Because friends, if you are in sin and you have no remorse for it and you have no conviction about it, I'm not sure you've ever truly been saved. If you've been saved, you can expect that bone-crushing, spirit-killing judgment from the Lord to come upon you. And if it's not there and you're in your sin and you're as happy as you can possibly be, then, then I can't judge your soul, but I fear for you. And maybe you're here right now and you would say, you know what? I'm not sure I've ever truly repented. God, I acknowledge with you that this stuff is bad and I want to serve you. Maybe you're at that point where you're saying, I've got freedom. I'm not at home with mom and dad anymore. I'm gonna go wild. And I wanna say to you, friends, that's a bad decision. Sin will destroy you. What happens afterwards? Plead to the mercy of the Lord. Own our sin. Ask the Lord to restore us. And then we're gonna worship him. We're gonna worship him humbly. Let's look at what it says. Then it moves to future tense. See it here. I will teach transgressors your ways. Oh Lord, forgive me and restore me and I'm gonna teach transgressors your ways. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness. Deliver me from what I did to Uriah. Oh God of my salvation. And then my tongue, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips. My mouth then will declare your praise. I don't want to sing to God. Do you have something in your life you need to confess? Maybe not. Maybe there's other things going on, but maybe. For you will not delight in sacrifices or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. 
Much of the Old Testament pushing for burnt offerings and sacrifices, and yet David here recognizes that works is not what pleases God. It's that humble and contrite spirit within us. That's what pleases God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. So in that spirit, you want a right spirit? You want a willing spirit? You want a spirit that pursues holiness? And then here you see that you want a broken spirit. You want a spirit that says, God, when I sin against you, I don't like it. I am broken over it. I don't want to do those things. Help me to have that willing spirit creating me that new heart so I can serve you with a reckless abandon. Lord, that's what I want to do. That's what God desires. Oh God, that you will not despise. So now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Perhaps you're in the room right now And you know, I need to repent and confess. Friends, there's nothing better that you could do today than to do that at this very moment. So I just wanna give you an opportunity to pray to the Lord. If that's you, right now, just between you and God, would you plead to God's mercy? Oh God, Have mercy on me, not based on anything I've done, based on your character. For God, you are a merciful God. You have loving kindness. Would you own your sin? Lord, I know my sin. My sin is ever before me. My sin is, and you fill in the blank. Would you plead for God to restore a right relationship Oh, Lord, cleanse me. Oh, Lord, wash me. Oh, Lord, create in me a new heart. Create in me that right spirit, that willing spirit, that spirit that desires holiness, that spirit that is contrite before you. Dear friends, God is faithful and just to forgive you. And we have the opportunity to sing praises to that God. So to the God who is able to forgive and to the God who is merciful and gracious, I ask that you would help us to worship you well. In Jesus' name, amen.